Welcome to the Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts all of us. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. Join us on Facebook at The Broadband Bunch and see the latest episodes, news, and photos. The Broadband Bunch, as always, sponsored by ETI Software. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Broadband Bunch. Alongside my colleague, Lance Stevens, I'm Craig Corbin. Thanks so much for joining us. There has long been a tremendous need for broadband access in order to facilitate communications, commerce, access to medicine, education, and even delivery of entertainment. And if there was any question as to the status of broadband as the fourth utility, essential and no longer a luxury, demands for connectivity exacerbated by a global pandemic left absolutely no doubt. It's time to get busy connecting the unconnected. Our guest today will help us explore how fixed wireless networks are playing a vital role in meeting the challenge of broadband for all. A man who has spent more than two decades spanning the globe for some of the largest telecommunications providers in the world, with a track record of delivering transformational change for companies in multiple industries. It is a pleasure to introduce the Chief Executive Officer of Cambridge Broadband Networks Group, Nigel Hall. Nigel, welcome to the Broadband Bunch. Hey, thanks, Craig. Great to be part of it and uh, look forward to having our chat. It is going to be so wonderful to to be able to explore today's topic with uh, you and Lance. And uh, it is uh, always good when we launch into the, the topic of conversation. But before we do so, for those who might not be familiar with you and your background, uh, I know that it would be very helpful if you could provide that 30,000-foot overview for us. Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks, Craig. Um, And hi, Lance. Um, So background is I'm an engineer um, in electronics. I worked for a company called Marconi when I first started out as an apprentice at the age of 16, so really not that long ago, actually. Um, I then moved into a company called the GC Group and was responsible for some of their biggest uh, large-scale infrastructure projects in the telecommunications space and communication space globally. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be working on projects like the little tunnel that was built between the UK and the European uh, <laughs> continent called um, called the Channel Tunnel. Right. And I was also partly responsible for uh, building out a number of different other communications projects, including um, the new airport out in Hong Kong. Um, I then landed in a company called Orange, which was, and I was part of the startup team there, um, and worked in that business for 10 of my 14 years, being responsible for launching the international units uh, over that time. And then when I left there, I went to work for companies like Telefonica, uh, for cable and wireless worldwide, and also a stint in Africa, working for a, a telecommunications operator down there. And more recently, uh, got involved in the F1 company, McLaren, and also did a stint in the music industry too. So I've now got the telecoms, media, and tech bit of TMT. Nigel, it's it's a shame that you haven't done anything with your time over the last couple of decades. That is amazing. Uh, I am curious, though, about uh, your current uh, work as CEO of Cambridge Broadband Networks Group. Tell us about that organization. 
Yeah, so for those of you who don't know about Cambridge Broadband Networks Group, um, it's a company that's based in the UK out of the Cambridge Science Park. Um, we have about 100 or so customers globally, um, and we specialize in providing point to multipoint solutions to the licensed millimeter wave space uh, for telcos and mobile network operators globally. We've been around for about 20 odd years, um, and we've sold networks to most of the major telecommunications players and communications providers in the Latin American region, the North American region, where a lot of our customer base still exists, in Europe, in the Middle East, North Africa, and also in the Asia-Pac region. Um, our primary product uh, is a product called VectorStar, which is designed and built around a high availability and a reliable uh, licensed fixed wireless access solution product. But we also have a leading product in the form of a network planning tool and also a network management system platform that, that our customers tell us is really very valuable to them in trying to, one, plan the networks for them in, the, in this space, but two, also being a really useful tool for the network management system to integrate and op optimize with their existing networks. And I'm proud to say that the company has really leveraged itself enormously in recent times and changed and adapted to the ever-changing marketplace to try and make best use of this licensed millimeter wave spectrum space. Well, and to say that it is an ever-changing market uh, is is an understatement, as, as you well are aware, and so excited. And Lance, you know, you and I have, have really been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. And in, in quite honestly, from my perspective, part of the intrigue is the fact that you and Nigel do have a history of working together uh, in the telecommunications industry in the past. Give us uh, a, a brief look at that, if you would. <laughs> oh, that's a, a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hi, Nigel. Great to catch up with you again. Um, yeah, and you, Lance. Uh, yeah, Nigel and I, um, um, when was it? A, a rainy a rainy March day in 1995 in Manchester at 8 o'clock in the morning is where we, we, we um, first met. Um, and uh, yeah, we worked in Orange together for a long time, doing pretty similar roles at times, actually. Although I did, I did uh, leave a lot, lot earlier than you. But we have we have caught up a few times since uh, on, on various things. Anyway, it's good to talk to you again. Uh, so, Nigel, look, today we're talking about how fixed wireless networks help solve the challenge of broadband for all. Help some of us out here and tell us about what the problem is first of all. Yeah, so I think it starts with the customer experience right at the touch points um, in enterprises in the consumer space. Um, for me, there's an ever-increasing demand for higher quality, more reliable levels of service, but more importantly, increasing levels of capacity at touch points like the home, the enterprise business park, all of those types of locations. It's happening everywhere. And the pandemic has really exacerbated that very recently, in my view, and really increased the level of pressure uh, on those key points. But particularly when you're talking about the non-urban areas, suburban areas of a, of a, of a place, a location, and particularly around the rural locations, although we'd all love to see fiber in every single location, whether it's urban, suburban, or rural, the cost of that challenge, of meeting that challenge, is, is really quite significant. And all of us who've been in the industry, whether it's been on the fixed side or the mobile side, all understand that that cost of that last mile is really quite a challenge. And if you're talking about fiber everywhere, we all know that it's not just about the cost, but it's also about the disruption 
that can be placed in trying to dig up roads, dig up pavements and sidewalks, and the deployment time. I, for one, for example, have just been given a voucher, for example, in the UK. I live in a rural community, and that voucher has been running now for about 18 months, and I've still not had fibre to my premise. Um, So it just takes time. Um, But put simply for me, the big issue about where the value add that fixed wireless access brings is that it brings some improvements in what I call the economics challenge. And that's for one, the bigger challenge I think to deal with, which is how do wireless internet service providers and how do telcos make sure that they're constantly making that solution efficient and effective, but doing it in a, in a more cost-effective way. Um, and I think fixed wireless access is uh, now coming, coming good and coming into its own because of that need. Well, thanks, thanks very much for that. Um, so, well, that all sounds great, but, but these companies wouldn't be rolling out fiber to the home if it wasn't going to make the money. And whilst I can see there's a place for fixed wireless, there's got to be some limitations with fixed wireless, surely, like capacity or speed. Tell me, tell me how, how you overcome these. Yeah, so I think that's true. I think, but let's, let's also look at what, what I think is really happening here is fiber clearly is the preferred choice. And I think we'd all want to have that happen. Um, but it's also a little bit of what I call horses for courses um, in English. And, and the famous thing for me is you have to choose the right horse for the right uh, opportunity. And, uh, and what's also important around that subject is, for example, you wouldn't put Usain Bolt in a marathon. Uh, so there's particular needs and demands in that last mile space that are important to remember. Typically, if you're trying to put a last mile solution in around fiber, you could be talking anything of up to $2,000 a pop just to get that into someone's home. That's an enormous expense. But fixed wireless access solutions can be anything around the sort of the $1,000 mark. So it's a big change. And secondly, um, making sure that you can, with now the technology that's coming along with fixed wireless access uh, network solutions, you've also got the benefit that they can deliver in the millimeter wave area high degrees of capacity that really, really do compete and can offer a better level of quality of service in some respects to some of the existing solutions out there. So, so, so you say, what, what sort of difference are we getting talking about capacity of fixed wireless access versus fiber? What, what, what you say it com- competes? I mean, how, how close is it? Well, you get, a, you get a range of things. And I think it all comes down to something I want to just pick up now in the next sort of stage, which is to talk about the different types of solution that you have. So right. one is unlicensed spectrum, for example. Um, where frequencies that you might want to take on board in that space. Um, you've also got the comparison of fiber itself with that. And then you've got what I call licensed spectrum. And all of the different frequencies that you can use these days will give different degrees of uh, service, quality, and capacity. And, um, and I think that it won't be a case that there's just a fixed wireless access solution to a rural community. It won't be that it's just a fiber solution to the rural community. It'll be the blend that gets the best answer for the telco and for the wireless internet service provider and ultimately the consumer. You're listening to The Broadband Bunch, sponsored by Utopia Fiber, by DXTEL, and by ETI Software Solutions. Our guest today, Nigel Hall, the Chief Executive Officer of Cambridge Broadband Networks Group. And Nigel, you, you made mention uh, just a moment ago about the, the blended solution that, that is required. And I think that is so 
key when you talk about connecting the the unconnected broadband for all because you're dealing with topography that's a challenge uh, in areas that are very sparsely populated in some cases. But I'm curious about finding that that happy medium. Uh, what area of the spectrum band best for providing broadband connectivity? Talk about that if you would. Yeah, sure. So if you look at um, the typical uh, range of spectrum in the fixed wireless access space, you have what you would call cellular bands, Wi-Fi bands, which are at the low end. They're called traditionally sub-6, effectively. What you've then got is a middle range, which is the millimeter wave uh, space, which is typically anything from 26, 28 gigahertz up to 31 and, and a little bit beyond that in some cases. And then you've got into what you call the 60 gig range of bands. Uh, and that's the sort of the, the, the overall spectrum position. So let's just look at unlicensed spectrum, um, which in my opinion is getting increasingly overused. Um, the solutions to those frequencies are, are clearly very low cost. That's why people use them. But they do lack a lot in the features and the performance and the reliability side. And capacity, given the nature of simple physics, you know, the, the, the frequencies that you're using, capacity can become a major issue. And also you've got the challenge of interference. So operators and wireless internet service providers are really pushing hard to try to find ways to make use of that range. And if you then take a, a look against fiber, um, as I mentioned earlier, fiber's got time challenges, complexity to run and provide that service, plus the cost element. So overall, unlicensed spectrum is a really interesting balance. Um, but the key area, I think, where the opportunity really lies now in the marketplace and for the consumers and customers and enterprises is around the licensed radio space, and that's the millimeter wave bands. And in that case, uh, it's not just the, 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 the opportunity that's created by the high degrees of capacity that can be created through those solutions, but it's also the cost of them. And equipment can be a little bit more expensive in that place to deliver that service, but operators are increasingly willing to start to look at it now as a blended solution to the existing ones that they're already using. And particularly when it comes to um, the comparison between a wireless internet service provider wanting to deliver this type of service, but doesn't have all the infrastructure of a large major telecommunications player where mm -hmm. there's core networks uh, needed to make those things work. That's an expensive solution. And to deliver um, uh, that type of entity capacity right in the rural areas, you can imagine that the numbers get pretty challenging to make that happen. No doubt. And and Lance, I'd be curious too to uh, explore the, the role of 5G in this conversation. Yeah. Um, thanks, Nigel, for that. Um, so, you know, we hear lots about 5G. Um, well, in fact, we hear nothing bad about 5G. And there's people pushing pushing for, for 5, 5G uh, usage. Um, what's the problem with 5G? Well, I don't think it's a problem with it. I, I think it's the it's back to definitions. But if you think of 5G networks are all about delivering the fixed wireless services to customers in, in some of those rural communities, urban communities that I mentioned earlier. You've got this challenge um, that you've got to make some tricky tricky balancing acts. And as I mentioned earlier, you've got these sub six bands, which is typically where a lot of mobile players will play. You've then got the low to medium millimeter wave bands, and then you've got the above 60 gigs. 
And what's interesting for me in this space is 5G isn't necessarily, if you're a mobile player, isn't designed for fixed locations. Um, and if you think about the fact that our households are fixed and our needs of, for broadband are designed around a fixed location, that's where the opportunity lies, I think, to provide the great services that do exist in the millimeter wave bands. Um, if you think about um, that particular space, um, you've got very decent, reasonable range in the 24 to 26, 28, up to 31 gigahertz license spectrum range. You've got good channel bandwidths. They provide really decent capacity at that touch point. And although it may not be well suited to mobile, like I said, um, you've got this situation where a lot of us are in demand in these rural communities and, and suburban areas where we're not moving about. And a lot of the broadband today has been subsumed by the needs and the capacity demands of the household and you know businesses and enterprises that are fixed locations and they're not necessarily in demand for the need for a mobile. So it's back to the blended solutions again. If you need a mobile-based solution, then you're looking at obviously mobile RAN and core networks that need to be built, like the major telcos. Um, but then at the same time, there's an enormous number of fixed wireless access uh, needs out there, which are all around making sure that those particular locations around towns and cities, rural demands, where the fixed requirement for broadband is really quite high. Right. Okay. And uh, you've, you've, you've given us some information about how, how you choose and what dictates that choice. Um, uh, is there anything else I'd want to add on that? Or is, it, is that kind of where we are with that now? No, I think um, the, the challenge with things in the sub six range is that the range is great, um, but the penetration levels uh, are acceptable, but the channel sizes are really small. And so you have to build technology, which uh, can become quite expensive. So, and that's why it's very popular for mobile 5G use um, and MNOs with these large core networks. But if you're a mobile player or you're trying to provide a service which isn't a mobile operator with all that, that heavy infrastructure, there are really big benefits for this millimeter wave range. Um, and if you're up at the 60 gigahertz range, then the range is really quite short. And bandwidth's huge, of course. Um, yeah. But penetration levels are difficult when you're trying to send the signals through the buildings. And the capacity is awfully good. But nonetheless, you're going to need a lot of access sites to provide that high capacity coverage in those large areas. And even in rural and suburban areas, you still have to have a lot of anchor points. You have to have a lot of fiber points and presence around the backhaul. So again, there's a lot of economics challenges with even the higher frequencies, even though you get the capacity that you need from that. Right, gotcha. So if you're a Verizon, an AT&T or a DISH with lots of existing infrastructure to leverage, you're okay to deliver a mobility-flavored FWA service, fixed wireless access service. Yeah, you are. Um, but I think it's also fair to say that we shouldn't underestimate, and this is very true actually of a lot of North America, um, there's thousands and thousands of local wireless internet service providers. I think you've got something like about over two, two and a half thousand in the US alone that are looking to provide particularly high capacity solutions to the suburban and rural areas of, of North America. And whilst um, a lot of the major telcos like Verizon, AT&T, Dish, and to name just a few, are all looking to, to do that. Um, 
they're providing fundamentally what I would call mobile RAN solutions. And as I said earlier, that involves a lot of cost, a lot of investment in the RAN infrastructure, in the uh, core network infrastructure. And if you're a, a local wireless internet service provider trying to deliver a high capacity solution, um, that's a big cost on your on your on your bottom line. And uh, there are ways and means of still delivering a similar service using millimeter wave bands, um, and at the same time being able to provide that service without all of that major level of infrastructure. And actually, I truly believe that eventually, even the bigger telcos will be providing blended solutions to their customers in all sorts of different ways, because I think the economics will lend itself to making that work that way. Uh, I think that's, uh, without question, something you're beginning to see uh, become much more accepted, uh, even transitioning much more quickly from uh, strictly a wireless delivery to to the blended uh, solutions as well. I'm also curious, Nigel, about uh, your, your thoughts on the role of standardization and partnerships. And I know that there is a, a big uh, dependence on using standards such as from TM Forum, uh, the MEF Forum. Uh, your thoughts in that regard? Yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting one because having spent obviously um, only a few years in the telecoms industry, um, <laughs> I, I've always seen that setting standards and agreeing standards both globally, internationally and, and, and across boundaries is the key to making the best experiences for customers. So that's that's point number one. And point number two is, is when you do that, I think everyone wins. Um, and it really is about working together to, to solve the problem of how you deliver broadband for all. But to do that, you have to have partnerships working where people want to collaborate. And I think the companies of the future will be those companies like ourselves who want to effectively work with people who have a similar objective in mind, which is to deliver broadband for all in whatever way is possible and not feel too uncomfortable about working with competitors. I call it co-opetition, where you're working with competitors to build the right solution. I think that's a word from Orange from 1999. Yeah, it is. It is. Absolutely is. And, and it's true. And I've lived with that for a long time. And I think the more and more you do that, uh, but you have to have the standard set. You have to have the same interactions between the software and the hardware. You have to have people who've sat down and figured out what those um how those platforms are going to interoperate. And I think if you can do that, and the, the, the companies that get involved in operating in that way will be, for me, the big winners. And yeah. I think it's all about partnerships and it's all about collaboration and it's finding ways to build the bridges across the different interfaces of the solutions. And without question, the ability to unify the approach on, on different continents, without question, should speed the process of the, the end goal of broadband for all. Question for both you gentlemen is, as we begin to wind down our time here today, obviously there are, uh, and we talked about it earlier, the, the transitions in the industry that are happening at light speed. Uh, and I'm curious about, you know, if, if we ask you to to pull out the, the crystal ball and look, you know, a couple of years down the road, where will we have seen the, the evolution of this industry go? Um, Lance, let's start with you first. Your thoughts in that regard. Um, well, how, how far, how far do you want to go down? I mean, I, you know, I think, uh, um, I think in the shorter term, you, you, you're going to see the, the increased utilization for me of, of, of 
radio spectrum spectrum in a, in, in even more clever ways. Mm-hmm. It's it's got to be. I don't. I mean, you know, I think fiber is is great where there's there's a huge urban build up, but you know, we're gonna have to clever about our use of radio. Interesting, Nigel. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, that the world will increasingly get to a point where. I mean, we haven't touched on satellite. There's a clear opportunity with with the satellite space as well in in today's solutions mix, and uh, and I think particularly in North America right now with Elon Musk's uh, solution coming along and and starting to drive opportunity, it comes back to the same thing for me, um, Craig, which is I actually see that all of these solutions need to interoperate and work together to get the best out of it for every single consumer out there. But I think. Um, as Lance touched on there, radio is still a big part of this. Wireless solutions are still a big part of it. Um, and yes, we'd all love fiber to the home eventually. But I do think that that's a, an exponential challenge um, to make it you know, all pervasive. I think it will be the blend that will win through and get the best for the customer experience. And I think part of it too, gentlemen, would be, the, and I'm assuming you both would agree, that uh, the fixed wireless uh, approach, though, provides the more agile, uh, much more quick response to initiating service in challenging areas where there uh, is no connectivity. Am I correct in that regard, Nigel? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I, I think you have a lot more flexibility, but as I said earlier, Radio solutions have their challenges, but the technology is advancing at such a pace now that even some of the things that a few years ago uh, would have been challenges in the radio space are now proving to be not challenges any longer. And um, when you add in the economics around delivering those agile solutions, as you call it, um, I do really think that there's a much bigger part to play for, for that radio millimeter wave set of solutions in the marketplace, as well as seeing new incumbent operators uh, be challenged, but also seeing new new operators um, like like the satellite companies coming into play too. Without question. I mean, we, we could both have shown some unconscious bias here because I think we both started our life as radio design engineers. So you might find that we're, <laughs> we're happy with what <laughs> we, we, we know about. Lance, we would expect nothing less. <laughs> nothing less. Last question, uh, Nigel. We we sort of refer to this as our back to the future question. If you could hop in the DeLorean and and go back in time, whisper something in your ear at any point in your career with regard to telecommunications that would have sped up the uh, success or changed the course that you took, what would that be? That's a really great question, Craig. Um, you know what? Let me just pause a little bit on that. I think, I think some of it is again back to, you know, getting um, countries and standards working more closely together. I think there were times when different regions of the world went down different paths on the standardisation for the telecommunications industry. Um, I remember that North America wasn't a, a very GSMA sort of focus type of uh, set of platforms at the time. Yes. Yeah. Um, but actually, that that gave some advantages to the North American market. Um, and I think for me, if you could want to, if you want to go back in time and say, what would you fast track? I would fast track that collaboration between different um, different territories in the world, different countries in the world, and the standards that were set by the different organizations involved in producing solutions. Excellent. Excellent. 
Oh, it's been a great conversation. And uh, guys, I would love to be able to connect again for uh, another opportunity to explore in, in much greater depth. There are so many avenues that we can, can touch on, but this gives us uh, a wonderful starting point in the conversation. And uh, Nigel, greatly appreciate uh, your time and, and sharing your thoughts uh, and being able to, to visit uh, with myself and with Lance. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Craig, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. It's been great. Thank you. Absolutely. Lance, thank you. Uh, And for all those who have joined, we thank you for letting us be a part of your day. That wraps up this edition. We'll see you next time right here on the Broadband Bunch. So long, everyone.